Welcome to Live from Bar Save, an Earth Dawn fan created podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Chad. And thanks for joining us. Tonight we have a very special guest. We have the line editor for Earth Dawn, the legend himself, Josh Harrison. Welcome, Josh. <laughs> Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Although the the legend, I think, may be a bit much. Well, it was your idea, you know, before when I said that we would have a regular feature on the podcast of, you know, story time with JH, you said only if you call it legends from a legend. So I'm just that, obliging. That's that's true. I, I am just kind of, you know, some guy, though. So, well, Earth on, though, is a game of legends and you're the guy behind it. So I, I think that kind of makes some sense. Um, yeah, okay. I'll, I, 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 I will cop to some of that, though I am very definitely standing on the shoulders of some uh, great people who went before. So, um, Yeah, we actually, uh, you've probably seen on Twitter and um, on our website, we've actually got a little bit of feedback from some of the first edition developers. And it's, uh, it's just, it's nice to know that they're, um, that they're noticing the podcast and listening to it. And uh, it's, I, I really have a lot of respect for those guys because they, they made such a solid game to begin with. It's not like it, I feel like fourth edition is a, is a major improvement, but it's not like there was a lot of just flat out broken stuff. I feel like you guys took something really good and made it even better. Well, I appreciate that. That was certainly our goal uh, in terms of, of what we were approaching with the, uh, with the fourth edition. Um, and the the response um, has been pretty positive o- overall. I mean, you're going to end up with the debates on the forums and stuff about how balanced or broken or whatever various things are. And, you know, if people are disagreeing, then I think we hit a pretty good middle mark because then, you know, nobody's happy. <laughs> well, I was just telling Rachel, you know, we've been getting some feedback on the podcast about I like this, but I don't like that. And it, things we're making some adjustments. But I said, you know, I don't comment on things that I hate. Like if something's just terrible, I don't bother to tell you why it's terrible. I just don't say anything. So if you've got some dialogue going, I, I think that shows that it's it's good enough for people to be invested in it. So. Yeah. Well, Definitely. I just have to say that if there's anyone on the fence about converting to fourth edition, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> because we converted our characters not too long ago, and I love the changes. It just it makes it makes the game so much more fun for the durability, the um, the karma. You know, it just. <laughs> It, it makes it a lot more fun for magic users. I, I think my favorite change are the the different variant uh, various levels of the spells. If you get an extra success or weave an extra thread, different things like that that can bump up the effect or bump up the duration. I, I really like that flexibility in the in the casting system. It brings system. a lot more flavor and a lot more variation. I really like that. Yeah, it, the other thing that it does, um, and this is more identifiable in in a longer term game and so you may see this as time goes on is that it allows those lower circle spells to have a life beyond sort of the initial time that you get them Um, because as you gain more experience and get better at thread weaving it's easier to throw those extra threads on there to get additional power or range or uh, targets or whatever on some of your your initial spells so you don't run into a situation where oh i've hit fourth circle i've picked up this spell that completely replaces something that i had before so 
Yeah, I, I like that because it's not, it's like a continual building of your character. You're not just done with your lower circle stuff. You can use that in a better way going forward. Um, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was great. I, I think, I don't know if you remember, but I was a pretty hard sell on Twitter. I think I spent like, like probably several months telling you why I didn't need a new rule book. <laughs> <laughs> And then I, it was actually your your interview with RPG Squad that I heard some of the specifics, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to need that. I heard a rumor mm-hmm. that there is a book on the city of Trevar coming up. I think it may be more uh, than a rumor. It it is not a rumor. <laughs> Um, at least I hope it's not a rumor because if it's a rumor, I don't know what I've been working on for the past <laughs> several months. He's just delusional. He's played Earth on for so long. He thinks he's in charge of it. It's kind of sad. Now, yeah. I've actually been unsure of how you pronounce it. I just, I have a brother named Trevor, so I try to not call it Trevor. But other than that, I don't know if it's Trevar or Trevar. Or... Well, I have always pronounced it Trevar, giving a bit more emphasis on the second syllable. Um, so that's it. That's canon. It's Trevar. Yeah. <laughs> I so think that's... that's how I've been saying it mostly. So I think I got one right finally. <laughs> so do you um, have a yeah. release date on the book as of now? We do not have an exact release date. I um, had released the uh, sort of pre-art initial manuscript to the Kickstarter backers at the tail end of last year, back in November, I think, and had been collecting uh, sort of feedback and typos and stuff like that from them that I have been incorporating into the draft as we've been waiting for the art to come in. And art has been kind of gradually getting delivered over January and, and here into February. And once we've gotten all that and I've got the sort of final manuscript locked down, at that point, it'll be going off to the printer to we'll release the, the electronic version. And uh, at the same time, then that it goes off to the printer to uh, basically be put into a physical product that will become available for people to purchase and put on their shelves. Great. We're definitely looking forward to that one. Um, I think I mentioned it to you before, we're in the process of recording a series right now on the Serpent River. Um, mm-hmm. This episode, we may release it before or after, maybe in the middle, I, I don't know. But um, So that's actually an area we're talking about right now. And just the maybe two pages or so of, about Trevar in the, uh, in the original first edition Serpent River book, it's really interesting. So uh, uh, I think the most interesting part that I read was about the founding the uh, the magical yes. tournament that's I I can't wait to see that fleshed out a little more. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting situation. Um, basically, the the source book goes into the history, including some of the the secret behind the scenes stuff, um, uh, and then how the founding tournament came to be and how it is such a significant portion. And there's a whole chapter in the book that's devoted to um, ideas to help you design your own uh, tournament uh, in terms of events and and things like that and offers several examples uh, to kind of give advice as to how to to incorporate that into the game. so it's it's uh, it's cool. Uh, there's there's definitely some some interesting stuff in there that uh, uh, you know that that I like, and it's not you know just Trevar, but it also covers the Badlands, which are right nearby, um, oh, and deals yeah you know, deals a little bit as well with the um, 
the relationship between Travar and House Katenshin, uh the the Southreach sort of uh, Serpent River controllers. That's one thing I was actually I had on my list to ask you about. Um, because, you know, with Katenshin being aligned with Thera and Thera being ousted from Barsave, I assume that's probably going to change a lot of the dynamics to some extent. Um, I, I would assume that would probably equate to them being somewhat weakened. Would that be correct? Or, uh, yeah, that's that's fairly accurate. Um, the I don't now recall right off the top of my head exactly what the, the stance is. Um, it's similar um, kind of to what was going on with them uh, in the period between the end of the first Theron War and the return or the landing of uh, the Triumph at Lake Ban, um, you know, where they kind of needed to put up with the, uh, the, the situation on the Serpent River trade that had been enforced as a result of the, of the war, of the first war. Right. Um, and then the Theron's kind of put their big old foot down right in the area. Contention got stronger as a result and was able, were able to do more. And now with Thera kind of pushed back, they're back into a situation where, um, they kind of need to uh, play a little bit nicer with the other folks. It, that's one thing that uh, going through the Serpent River book, it kind of jumps out at me about that whole area. It's really cool. Just there's this really delicate balance of power between multiple factions. And it, it's 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 kind of neat because in a way they almost have a monopoly, but not quite because, um, you know, some of the other houses are working together to sort of try to break that up. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I like that it's they're sort of the dominant force, but they don't have a totally locked down. So I think that could be a pretty, pretty interesting place to run a game. So. Yeah, well, one of the things about people in general, and this goes almost double for the Tiskran because they don't do anything by halves, uh, is everything ultimately revolves around money um, and that, you know, the wealth and the status that goes along with that. And that is a big part of Travar as well, being sort of the merchant city and and uh, focused on trade, not only sort of within the immediate area, but across all of Barsave. Um, and you ended up with a situation where on the serpent itself, there was, you know, basically an enforced neutrality and and you need to allow the other houses to you know trade where they will along the length of it but then house vestrimen which controls the coil river basically has full control over that stretch because it's not the serpent it's a tributary right right one thing i was kind of wondering about the book and this might be a little this might be a little too much of a broad brush to characterize books but certain source books i find are more um, okay, like like Parlength, for example, it tends to be more uh, action-based. Uh, and then you have other books, say like the Thrall book, that's a little more backstory of the different political factions and, uh, you know, different flavors of how you play it. Would would you kind of say this, this book would fall one direction or the other, or is it kind of a good mix of both? Um, well, it's definitely got a mix of of both sort of the action exploration sort of angle, not necessarily so much in the city itself, but in the surrounding area, again, particularly the Badlands, which is one of those areas that draws adventurers much like Parlength does. 
Yeah. Um, and so you've got your nasty creatures and forgotten cares and horrors and cults and all that sort of stuff that operates, you know, both out of the Badlands and, and that are drawn there because of it. Um, but then you've also got the political situation within the city of the uh, games of, of one-upmanship between the various trading houses and that sort of thing, and the role that Trevar plays as a major trading faction, or as a major, major trading power within Barsave, and the interest that that draws from other political factions like Thrall and Iopos and you know, very, and the Therans, even though they are less of a physical presence, they do still have some interest in, in what's going on. They right. just don't have the military might to sort of back it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, in addition to, to hearing more about Trevar itself, I'm really interested. Uh, I didn't realize that the Badlands were going to be such a big part of, uh, of the book. That's something that, you know, if you read like the first edition bar save set, it tells about it, and I'm sort of like, oh, that sounds cool. I want to do something there, but it doesn't give you enough meat to really go, I'm going to run a game there unless you want to sort of make your own version of it. Um, so it'll be good to see that and see a little yeah, more detail the, there also. Yeah, there, there's a, a pretty hefty section devoted to the Badlands, largely um, because of its its prior to it being the Badlands, its relationship to Trevar um, and sort of how it, maybe came to be the way it was. Uh, there are some features and and aspects of the Badlands that are described, but it is still largely left with a lot of open space for a GM to write what they want, uh, right. you know, to fill in stuff there. So that's really kind of, I've never really felt like any of the earth Dawn material was so overly oppressive that you can't do that. So it's, it's, it's always strikes a nice balance. I think, um, you know, of leaving enough open that really any time you play any role-playing game, you make it your own version. Nobody's ever played, you know, the exact same version of Bar Save as anybody else, but it's, uh, I always felt that Earthon struck a nice balance there. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, that, that there is definitely room within the, the setting to make things your own. Um, so yeah, I, can't, I'm, re- I'm can't really interested dis- about the uh, Tuscrang Arapagoi, how they have um, recovered from the war. Um, Are you talking about contention? The- yeah, I'm really interested in that. And I'm really interested in, and I don't know if I'm butchering this word, but the Bekshevas. Okay, that yeah. Is still in the, practice. Uh, um, that doesn't get addressed too terribly much in the Trevar book itself. Um, I mean, the, the practice is, is still going on, I think, to the extent that it was in the Serpent River source book, again, that we're back to a situation where, um, House Contention doesn't have the military might of Thera to back them up anymore. Um, we're, you know, they're probably back into that kind of situation, but it is a, a cultural aspect of the, the Tuscrang Aropagoy and, uh, and so it's definitely something that uh, that is carrying on to a greater or lesser extent, depending on the style of game that that uh, that you run and how much you want to focus on it. I found that pretty interesting, though, reading through the book, because it started out as this barbaric piracy kind of thing, and it turned into this highly civilized etiquette based piracy. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I think just that idea gives you some insight into kind of the 
the feel for uh, how the Tuscrang approach life. It's just very Tuscrang, you know, that, and that's one of those interesting places where I think what you're told about the race in general has a backdrop in the source material that says where I think that's one of the examples you can kind of see their zest for life playing out in this dramatic way, you know, that they Mm -hmm. have this interesting dramatic way of sort of doing piracy, but not. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, and then there is the one Arapagoi that is legit pirates. Um, yeah, now you're testing my memory because I don't have my notes in front of me. That's uh, talking about uh, Hengyoke. Hengyoke. Yes. Yep. And now we have the correct pronunciation. <laughs> That's well. Again, all of the pronunciations that you will hear from me are are pretty much for the most part how I've always pronounced them, which I guess for now is you know defining, but may be different from what uh, people might have used in the past. Well, you do better than I do at pronouncing actual English words, so we'll probably go with yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's... um, There's some... There's some... If if you read into the Serpent River book and then some of the later stuff, and this is where I really to a certain extent kind of fell in love with earth dawn as a, as a greater setting back in the first edition days are the, are the hints and Easter eggs and things like that, that are not even necessarily made explicit, but allow you to make um, or draw conclusions based on, you know, passing references and things like that. Um, You know, basically that, that one of the theories with regards to who the, um, you know, where House Hengioke came from because nobody really knows exactly. They just kind of appeared on the scene one day. Um, and if you kind of look into the the uh, the, the history of, of House Katenshin, um, and then there's a reference in the later Dragon source book that kind of maybe, you know, puts uh, you know kind of points some some directions together uh as as to where they came from and and that sort of thing um are just those are the those are the cool things that i like like for example um you know the reason why the denerastus of Ayopos have the relationship with the rest of the province that they do and all those sorts of behind the scenes things that are really cool but and may or may not influence directly a game um I just I, I the the lore aspects of things I've always really enjoyed and and uh, you know want to see those kind of carrying forward. That's why I'm really looking forward to getting into the the GM book fourth edition. I've skimmed it. I'm just now finishing the player's guide because I've I've been going back and uh, rereading a lot of my first edition stuff for the podcast and right. reading some other things. So I'm just now getting through the player's guide and looking forward to dig into the, the GM guide. It looks like it fills in a lot of interesting lore kinds of things that, um, that I'm, that are sort of going over my head at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we were talking on Twitter and got into something about dragons and secret conspiracy theories. And after about five minutes, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. It's just completely, (laughs) completely off my radar. Oh yeah. When we were, um, uh, that was when you were talking with um, with Lou. Yeah. Um, where where he drops the the bomb that he loves dropping whenever people start talking about the books of Harrow, and that is he just asked the question, well, what if the books of Harrow weren't what they were claimed to be? 
Yeah, which messed with my head. I I, yeah. I didn't sleep for a week, and it was his fault. <laughs> I I remember, I think, the first time that he actually revealed that, which was back in, you know, the first edition days on the, the old Earth Dawn mailing list back when, you know, having a, an email list for a group, you know, talking about stuff was how everything was done. Um you know, where he kind of dropped that. I think it was toward getting towards the end of the the first edition era. Um, just kind of dropped that. And that caused all sorts of discussion and furor um, <laughs> uh, on the uh, on the list. And I I totally, totally like going along with dropping those kind of cryptic hints that, uh, you know, shed shed some light maybe into what's going on and the 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 deep behind the scenes, uh, you know, explanations of, you know, really what's going on is basically uh, the affairs in bar save are a chess match between members of a family that, that are angry with each other. <laughs> and what was funny about that whole exchange on Twitter, you said something about a family dispute and you yes. were talking about something in the game and i swear i thought i thought you were talking about a dispute between first edition and fourth edition developers i'm like oh no what did i start no no um <laughs> i i've i have known lou and i think i mentioned this in 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 twitter sort of what you were talking about that is that that i have known lou for quite a number of years we um you know basically through the the mailing list initially and when I first started getting into actual um, sort of writing and development work with Red Brick and the classic editions, um, I actually took a trip uh, from where I live up in Maine down to his place uh, outside of Boston and um, like spent an afternoon, you know, kind of going over stuff and talking to him and and uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, we, we I mean, he doesn't necessarily agree with all the changes we made, which is fine. Um, but no, we, we get along and and. Uh, you know, I certainly have a great deal of respect for him, and um, I, you know, don't think that uh, that he, he certainly, as far as I'm aware, anyway, doesn't harbor any uh, ill will towards me. <laughs> um, in fact, I was chatting with him online just a couple of days ago because of a question that came up from with an interpretation of something that I had never uh, encountered the interpretation before, and uh, it just threw me. And I actually kind of went back to the source to say, when you originally did this, what was the intention, and uh, did not get the answer that I expected. <laughs> because language is weird. <laughs> yes, it is. And when you have a game that's entirely based on language, it's going to be a weird game. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so the other thing that I've uh, I've heard you talking about on Twitter a lot lately is the the uh, fourth edition Earth on Companion. Yes, um, that's looking pretty interesting. Also, can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, so the so. In first edition, as you're aware, you had sort of the initial core book, which covered the it was 13 disciplines initially, and then they added the scout and the um, air sailor in the Earth Dawn Companion, which was sort of the book that then covered the higher circle. Excuse me, uh, covered the higher circle stuff, the circles nine through 15, um, added in the the higher circle talents and spells and and things like that. Um, and so for fourth edition. Uh, we're basically doing the same thing where we're having a, a supplemental sort of a, a third core book that's going to have the full, the high circle progressions for the 15 core disciplines, the rules for all of the new talents that are introduced there, 
Um, it also is going to include the the sort of reworked rules for airships and riverboats. Um, enchanting rules are going to be in there. Uh, more creatures and uh, horrors and such. Uh, and also a new thing that is sort of being introduced with 4th edition, what we're calling masks, which is basically a template system that allows you to get more mileage out of um, the the existing creatures that are already published so that you could take, you know, uh, your standard, um, you know, like a, a like a shadow man, right? You're kind of one of your standard creatures or whatever, and then take, well, I'm going to take the um, fire elemental aligned template and put that on there. So now you have a shadow man that's got fire powers, um, and it's basically got everything that you need to do to, you know, tweak, uh, you know, up or down different abilities, powers that they might have, um, you know, uh, templates for making young versions of creatures or, you know, giant ones, uh, templates for various levels of, of undead and, and things like that so that you can get a lot more mileage out of, you know, the, the creatures that have been published thus far, allowing a greater range of challenges and variety in terms of, of the, the obstacles that you can throw at your players. Yeah. I, I think I heard something about that on, uh, there was another podcast, um, some guys named Dan and Marcus. I don't know if they're still doing it or not. Uh, but I they, heard something about that. They have not done an episode in a while. Um, Dan actually um, does some design, uh, is doing some development work for one of the other lines. Oh, okay. Um, but they have not done an episode in a while. I think I um, saw one in like May or something. But... Yeah, I think that was like not quite a year ago was the, the last episode that they recorded for, for various reasons. Yeah. Um, but and, I remember, yeah, they they were talking about that. Yeah, they were talking about it, and they they were saying how cool it was, but they they sounded a little disappointed that it had been scaled back a little. But it sounds like it wasn't scaled back. It's just some of that. Um, is any of that in the game master's guide, or is is that no? All in? There, that okay. I think is probably what they were disappointed with. Is that was something that we had talked about in the uh, in the Kickstarter, and and one of the things that was sort of. Um, presented as a preview here's one of the things that we're working on okay and then it just none of that materialized in the game master's guide for space reasons basically and so it's gonna and and in in part you know basically space reasons we had to choose to cut something and that you know is is in some respects a little bit more of an advanced option than just presenting you know, a whole, you know, basically it was a possibility of either, you know, provide the creatures and such that we did or cut those by half to two thirds and have this template system. But there are only, you know, this many creatures that you can apply it to. And I think it's a fairly obvious choice at that point, which way you want to go. Right. Um, a template system doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you've only got 10 creatures as opposed to 100 to uh, to apply it to. Well, I'm I'm really happy to hear that's in there because when they first talked about it, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And then they're like, but it's not in there. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you just gave me something and took it away. <laughs> I didn't even know that I, <laughs> I didn't even know that I was missing it. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the problem comes at, at this point is that in the course of the development for the player's guide and the game master's guide and the, the companion, the stuff that we developed for those, especially when it comes to creatures and magic items and stuff like that, is that even coming to the companion, we've probably got more 
more material than we have room for. And it's a matter of going through and culling and saying, um, you know, this is what we're going to keep. But anything, you know, that's going in this book, but anything that we cut is material that we can then, you know, put into a later, um, you know, a later book. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's not, it's not wasted. Yeah. Now, the mask system, would that lend itself pretty well to an on-the-fly improvisational style to jamming, or is it more like that you would design it ahead of time, or could it kind of be either? It, it could be either. It probably would end up being a little bit easier to do ahead of time, because basically what happens is, you know, you take your shadow mant again as, as the example, and then you grab the template, and the template says, okay, it gets plus one initiative, minus one dex, uh, you know, plus five death and unconsciousness ratings, uh, you know, and things like that, and its effective challenge rating is one circle higher than a standard. Right. And and that's kind of going really quickly in terms of that sort of thing. So you could certainly, if you had things right there, you know, on the fly, kind of just make the modifications. Um, but it probably would end up being a, a little bit smoother if you had the time to just, you know, jot down on a note card or whatever what the adjusted numbers were. Right. My brother actually loves Earth Dawn and he takes the modding to an extreme and he was telling us about creatures and how he kind of got more mileage himself out of them. He would take regular animals and look at the area and see what the horror activity was and turn like a regular animal into like a horror tainted animal that had special abilities depending on the geography. Mm -hmm. yes. And it was it was really neat the way he was describing it. But he... He has modded this thing so extensively. We recorded an episode just on his, it's like extreme sport <laughs> modding of Earth Dawn. Yeah, there are some of the masks that are in there are like tainted, corrupted for various degrees. Um, if you want to go crazy, you can actually start using multiple masks on creatures. Um, you know, th that at that point you can start getting into some really bizarre um, capabilities and combinations. So there's, you know, it, it sounds like that's the sort of thing that, that, you know, would be up his alley, um, in terms of having, you know, because these are, you know, the numbers are crunched and, and with an eye towards not necessarily balance, but give at least giving you an idea of, okay, you know, adding this template is going to make it a little bit more of a challenge than you would for the standard or because you're going with a younger version, this one is going to be less of a challenge. And so given a lot more, you know, a lot more bang for the buck. And flexibility determining, you know, depending on the composition of your group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like also that you've got a really good balance of, you know, the high circle stuff is interesting, but um, even with the amount we've played, I don't think we've ever got past fifth circle. Um, and we're starting over again at first. And when I bought the first edition companion, there was some good stuff, but I almost felt like, okay, I'm not going to use three quarters of this book, but it, it sounds like the high circle stuff will be good for those who need it. But if not plenty of other reasons to go ahead and get, pick up the companion, I think the masks alone would be, would be pretty interesting. Yeah. The, the masks definitely, um, the enchanting rules, um, again, something that, you know, would have been nice to have maybe in one of the other core books, but again, space didn't really allow it. 
Um, so that's useful. You know, if you, you got characters that are into alchemy or want to be able to make their own magic items, um, you know, those options are going to be in there. Uh, rules for airships and riverboats are useful for, um, you know, for any type of campaign, even if you're not necessarily going to be running at ninth, tenth circle or higher. Um, so, you know, there, uh, and again, more creatures and, um, and stuff like that just definitely adds, you know, more options to, to, to your game. So even if you're not in a situation where you would be necessarily looking at running the higher stuff, and I've never actually run a game myself, um, where I've had characters get higher than ninth. So, of course, that can also be used as backstory information, just setting information in the game. Even if you're not playing a, you know, 10th circle something or other, you may you may have that be some kind of character who's somehow involved in the, the plot. So, yeah, it'd be you good know, to and, know. And that. knowing what the capabilities of the, the disciplines are, even if you might not have a character that's going to be doing it, you know, a player character that's doing it themselves, you know, knowing what the, the possibilities are. Um, for opposition and and stuff like that can can still come in handy because um, one of the things that that I've found in all the years that I've been playing is that um, game masters tend to not have uh, the um, the the finer details and ins and outs of the interactions of an NPC's uh, talents and such compared to their players, right. I, I tend to go very minimal on the talents and I used to do a lot of adept characters as, uh, as NPCs and it just, I don't know, like I, I was brand new at running the game and it was just too much. It was easier to have a creature that just attacks you with fangs and claws than, than to try to go, okay, what talent would a sword master use here or whatever. Um, so I, it'll be good to kind of get a little more guidance and go in that direction. I'm probably at a point now where I could do more of that, and I'm starting to work more of it in. Uh, you guys actually fought some adepts uh, mm-hmm. the other day. Yeah, we yeah. did. I'm really interested in the alchemy. Yeah, um, there, I mean the the alchemy skill is presented in the in the player's guide, but there's other than sort of general rules about well, you can use it to identify potions and make potions. It doesn't really present any difficulty numbers or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, in terms of the exact recipes and difficulties for making booster or healing potions or other healing aids or poisons or you know other stuff like that. Um, is is going to be included in the enchanting chapter? So I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. That that sounds like you playing the Elder uh, Elder Scrolls games. Yeah. That's all you do. It's, it's like me playing Oblivion or Skyrim or something. <laughs> of, of all the things you can do, she goes around picking flowers. That's just what her character's into. Well, you know, back when I was still playing World of Warcraft regularly, my uh, dwarf warrior was an herbalist. So. <laughs> well, Andrew was punching a punching a wheel of cheese in Skyrim once, <laughs> so you could you can play it whatever way you yeah. want. But I really I really do find that interesting, you know, and you how you learn the different effects of the different, you know, elements, and I'm 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 wanting to play that alchemy skill. Yeah, that does that does sound pretty interesting. Yeah. One thing I'm I'm really interested in it's available now i just haven't uh haven't made a point of going to get it and reading it but the uh uh i want to say is it called legends of bar save is that what it's called the the series of pdfs 
um, set around par, uh, in par length. Oh yeah. The, um, yeah. Uh, did I, I get think the name legends right? of bar safe sort of is the, is the overall name. Um, right now, all that we've got out available are, um, sort of a character creation guide book that basically has like takes sort of basically the equivalent of the character creation chapter um, along with the first circle information for all of the disciplines that you can have that basically allows you to whip up a first circle character pretty easily. Um, And then the second guidebook is a sort of rundown of the sort of current status of Haven and, and some of the factions that are there and the people involved along with some rules that allow you to sort of randomly generate um, the bonuses for thread items and whatnot, kind of setting the stage for a series of adventures that we're going to be releasing starting this year. Um, these are the adventures that kind of get run by, um, get written and run by our volunteers that run stuff at events like Gen Con. Um, and they do a, a couple of other conventions as well. But the idea being that these will be released and people can download them and either play them at their home table or run them at their own local convention and um, provide feedback that, uh, you know, ultimately will, um, as the overall story arc continues, will kind of help shape and decide the future of Haven and some events we've got in mind for that. Um, Like, basically, at the end of this adventure, you can send in the feedback saying, well, they turned the item over to this group, or this person, you know, this NPC survived, or they died, and things like that. And we'll just kind of take the you know, the, the most common things that happen and, you know, incorporate them into uh, sort of the future stories. Well, I'm thinking this may be good for our campaign because we've got probably two or maybe three new players who have never played that'll be joining our game soon because right now it's just it's just Rachel, me, and our son. We're adding a couple more, and our campaign is based in Haven and Parlane, so... I mean, we kind of travel all around, but that's sort of our base of operations where that we keep coming back to. So I think it would be a good way to get get them into the world. Yeah, a little better. I feel like Haven and Parlink is kind of like my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot like Zephyr Hills in a lot of ways. <laughs> Crotchety old guys. <laughs> Not so many horrors and monsters, but depending on what time of day you drive. <laughs> And how you define it. Right. <laughs> I suppose so. Right. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I feel like it's it's home in Earth Dawn. Mm-hmm. That's where we probably played the bulk of our stuff. Now, way back, it was uh, it was Vivane and Skypoint. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, really since like 2000 on has been pretty much, uh, pretty much par length. So I, I think that'll be a good one to, to kind of get our new characters. Uh, I keep telling Chad that he has to submit to you guys this amazing adventure that he came up with that I inadvertently credited to you guys. But he oh. well, the problem is it's it consists of a notebook that I found on a shelf that has handwriting I can't read and like like 15 year old memories of very vague things that were a little fuzzy at the time. So I'm not sure it exists in any kind of tangible form, (laughs) but I think you should revisit that because it's, it was the most fun adventure. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I'm kind of finding 
um, is that there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've got sort of on the on the burners, and between my you know my day gig and and family and whatnot, they're just it's tough finding enough hours in the day to get everything um, edited and and out and so forth. I mean, yeah. I've got. Um, the sort of custom adventures that I write to do it at Gen Con each year, I've got four or five of those that I've got more or less in just outline form that I want to get more formally written up and release those. And then there's the the, the Legends of Bar Save adventures, um, and you know, then there's the the actual books and you know all sorts of other stuff. And there just are not enough hours in the day. Oh yeah, I can I can relate to that. We've <laughs> we we have probably not nearly as much going on as what you do and i have different projects i'm trying to work and it's like you sort of feel like you do more on one you go i I need to work on that one i haven't done it in a while and you go over there and oh but i dropped the other thing it's like the magician spinning the six plates is what it feels like yes exactly (laughs) so what uh, um i i know there's a there's a uh a passions book coming up and what are the other uh what are the other books, even, even the back burner stuff that might be a while, but what are, what are the other things kind of coming down the pike? So we talked about Trevar. That's the one that's coming out next. Um, the companion is the book after that. Those two Trevar, definitely the companion I'm hoping will be out as well in time for this year's Gen Con. Um, the next book that is currently planned after that is Elven Nations which oh, is a yeah. book that uh, looks at um, the elven nations of Shosara and Seriatha, who, um, which, while not part of Barsave, are kind of tied into the history of how things came to be in Barsave um, with regards to, you know, the Theron Empire and the elven nation, you know, the Bloodwood and things like that. Um, and, but that's going to be a book that kind of looks at areas outside the, the province, giving people uh, other places that they could adventure. Yeah. Um, and then the, the Questors and Passions book is going to be the one after that. Um, and then in addition to the adventures and stuff that I mentioned, um, there is currently the book after Questors is going to be a basically a, a supplemental magic source book that is going to basically include the stuff that we were not able to fit into the companion um, and other stuff that we're developing. Uh, it may, it's not certain yet, but it may include a couple of new disciplines. Um, uh, like the reworked shaman is a possibility for that. Um, you know, more spells, more magic items, things like that. Um, and after that, I've gotten a couple of proposals for, um, people who want to do books that are focused on, you know, other areas outside of bar save. Um, one person who wants to do a more in-depth look at, um, uh, Vazgothia. Uh, yeah. But Vazgothia from the Theron empire source book. Um, and one person who actually wants to look at, uh, Arancia, which is sort of the rough geographical equivalent of France in the earth dawn world. Um, which has never really gotten more than a, a paragraph or two about it. 
You know, that you just reminded me of, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but I read something from Tolkien at one point. Uh, he mentions these far off lands that don't really come into the, the story. And he, he uh, characterizes that as painting distant mountains. And someone asked mm-hmm. him, well, why don't you flesh that out more? Because then he said, but he said, well, then I would have to make even more distant mountains. <laughs> yeah. so, but it's, yeah. it's good to see that some of that that's sort of been there as a backdrop is going to get more of a, uh, a full treatment. I, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's sort of a situation where if people come to me with stuff that they want to write then I'm willing to at least listen to it. Whether it ends up being something that sees print depends on so many factors at this point. It's really tough to say for sure, you know, what what we actually would end up with. I mean, I'd like to see, um, uh, you know, books uh, exploring um, Jerus and the Wastes, for example, although the Wastes are covered a little bit in the Elven Nations book. Um, because there were some lost elven, you know, basically what referred to as the Western Kingdoms are in what uh, what is now the Wastes, um, a book focusing on Iopos and, and the Denerastis clan that rules it, um, a book looking at kind of revisiting Vivane and Sky Point with all of the changes that have gone into effect there. Um, you know, there there is certainly uh, a book looking at um, Europa and the uh, the Aras Sea and sort of the the coastal communities there. Yeah, I mean, there there's still plenty of areas in Farsave itself that haven't really been explored in depth. So there is there is room for that. Um, I've just got to find people who are willing to write them for me so that I don't have to do it all myself. Because <laughs> again, hours in the day. Oh, yeah, definitely. Has there been any thought or discussion to creating more miniatures, maybe a Kickstarter? There was actually a company that a couple, a a year and a half, two years ago, um, actually managed to get a hold of the original Heartbreaker molds from the first edition Earthdawn run. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and did a Kickstarter to basically do resin casts of them. Um, we do have a partnership effectively with um, Ralpartha Europe, who is able to produce miniatures. It is not something that we have looked at in real focus for Earth Dawn, um, although uh, the minis for. Um, our 1879 and demon world miniatures games are put out by them. Um, that is a whole area that I have no real understanding of, of what would be involved. Um, so whether that's something that we would end up seeing down the road, eh, that's a possibility. I know that the, that there are, um, earth dawn miniatures that are out there. I forget the name of the company that, that did them and whether they only did it for Kickstarter or whether they produced others that you could, you know, go to their shop and, and buy them. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're still kicking around out there. Now, Rachel, you're not suggesting that our, uh, Christmas ornament Mickey mouse, uh, thrill caravan was in any way substandard. Are you? Cause I thought that worked. Well, it was a broken, Mickey Mouse car. They were headless. They were headless. So it was kind of <laughs> horror-like. 
But, you know, there are a lot of fantasy miniatures out, but you, there's no one other than Earth Dawn where you can find a Tuscrang miniature. That That is true. The, the, the lizard men that you get in... Um, in other games are not to scrang basically all that all that need be said um it, they're it's, uh, it's nice there's enough of an overlap with general purpose fantasy you can get a lot of stuff that's fairly close like we've got a mix of uh hero quest and uh i i think we have a one-armed archer from from dragon strike who's seen better days and we have this cobbled together collection of miniatures i, I do have some of the original first edition uh, miniatures but yeah our miniatures are getting pretty sad looking they are <laughs> seen a lot of wear and tear well i I was really uh, especially happy to hear there's going to be a Questers and uh, and Passions book. That's one of the areas that it's it's just woven throughout the setting so much. Mm-hmm. But I've always just felt like the rules were just not quite. There's a little bit in some of the first edition. I'm trying to remember. Was it the Companion? Secret societies. Well, yeah, the Companion sort of initially introduced the rules for playing Questors. And then Secret Societies fleshed out basically gave some additional powers and fleshed out a group devoted to each of the three mad passions. Uh, but that kind of left the other nine a little bit lacking. Um, and it was never really explored. And so when I took over and, you know, uh, you know, even I think before I decided for certain, whether we were going to do fourth edition or just continue with sort of the, the third slash revised, um was like basically well this is something that i have always wanted to see in the game and so that is you know my my goal is to see a you know is to see a questors book come out that gives sort of the the questors the adepts way style treatment um maybe look a little bit at the exploration of how you know of the the religion for lack of a better term of 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 the passion worship passion devotion in sort of general life in bar save and then provide you know an improved system for having them as as characters whether as uh npcs or something that a that a a player character could add on as a as an aspect of their own development um not giving them necessarily the full direction and and um uh, like suite of powers and circle progression and everything that you get from a discipline um, because it it's very difficult from a setting standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint to both follow a discipline, which requires a really strong mat, you know, uh, magical mindset and focus and following a, a passion where you need to devote yourself to a, you likewise need to devote yourself to a particular standard of behavior behavior in order to, you know, get the, in order to maintain the passion's favor and the powers that go along with it. Now the first edition rules for the passions or for the uh, questers, I've always felt it sort of felt like a little bit of just kind of an add on. It's, it's a slight little bonus you can throw onto your character to add a little, you know, a little bit of a twist to him, but it didn't feel like a real central, uh, a central thing. Would this book take it more in the direction of, like, say, I want to play a character that's 
primarily just a quester and isn't really trying to trying to follow a discipline can you play just a quester or is it still is it still a little more of like something you would mix into another character i don't know yet okay um because while we have a fairly solid working framework for what the power to how the powers are, are going to work in terms of, um, you know, like basically how, how they are like what the, for lack of a better term, what the talent structure looks like and things like that. Um, we have not, because we've been focused on the other books that need to come out first, we have not gotten to the point of breaking down how many powers they are going to have, what kind of shape they take, um, that kind of thing to really get a sense yet of how a straight up solo questor would compare to a, a discipline. So, you know, I, I would like to see the possibility of a character player character just being a questor. Um, but that might be, you know, I, I can make no promises as to how effective that might be. It, I think it would be something that would depend on on the game, you know, on, on yeah. the particular campaign being played. Um, but I can't make any promises at this point exactly how balanced or or, you know, relative strengths, you know, quest stores might be in comparison to adepts. In any case, so it, it sounds like it's going to get a much more full treatment than it had um, in the original first edition rules. So that... Um... I think that it, whatever direction you go with that, I, I think it'll be really good to to be able to have that be more of a central, you know, more of an important thing and not so much just like, oh, my character is also this thing on the side. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the idea is likely to be more along the lines of it is still generally going to be something that would be supplemental to a discipline, but Again, we're we're looking at something that before you know we're probably a good six or eight months out before we have a a solid enough framework and sense of of what's what yeah. <laughs> before I could really say you know say more for sure. Yeah, well, it, it's just it's interesting to hear though what's uh, what's coming you know down the road for Earthon. It's just it it's kind of cool knowing that there's a roadmap for all this stuff out there and that it's that it's uh it's in progress i know i know it's i can't even imagine just the effort that goes into trying to put together these podcasts and i just we wing most of it i'm looking at going <laughs> if i had to i had to edit the actual rule book i would absolutely go insane <laughs> yeah well i really underestimated how much work it was going to be to get the initial stuff out um, and we ran we ran the the Kickstarter in fam, January February 2014. So we're talking about three years ago now. Um, and the initial thought was that because we had started some of the development work before the Kickstarter, um, but the the thought was, oh yeah, we'll have the you know players guide and GM's guide all knocked out in time for Gen Con that year. <laughs> ah, oh boy, oh naive young young developer you oh yeah um, I, I had a 30-day plan to make a mobile game and it took me a year and a half <laughs> um you know and you know part part of that was just a, a function of you know again with the day gig and so forth i you know if i had a free six to eight hours a day to work on it progress would move a lot faster 
Um, but also when you're looking at the core rules for a game, especially one where while there is a lot of groundwork that's already laid from the prior editions, you are making some changes that are, you know, fundamental to how certain aspects work. Right. Um, you know, when you're looking at, okay, we are going to be changing how successes are measured and we're going to allow, you know, multiple successes and we really want to incorporate that mechanic into not only the talents a little bit more, but also into spells and so forth. There's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of interactions and, you know, kind of going and saying, okay, if we change this, that does this, what consequences does that have? What kind of play is that going to incentivize or disincentivize? Is that going to have, you know, unforeseen consequences down the road? You know, what does it mean if we give spellcasters free matrices but reduce the overall number of matrices that they have? You know, uh, and just a whole bunch of, you know, questions like that where we've got to kind of chase down, you know, the the, the multiple levels of of, of cause and effect that that uh, that come about as a result of that. It's it's a lot of work. And there were still kind of pieces of that today where we're kind of finding out that some things don't interact quite the way that we initially envisioned and need to tweak it and things like that. So it is it is always a work in progress. And there will not any time soon we've got to get other stuff done here first but i have little doubt that with the lessons that we've learned from this rather dramatic in some respects dramatic overhaul of the system that there will probably be a revised fourth edition hopefully a few more years down the road once we you know really know uh what what's what but that's i don't even want to think about that right now (laughs) Well, I, I'm really liking fourth edition. I have one very small suggestion. If you go to do a revision, I love the GM screen, but the one thing I'm missing is the alternate row shading that lets me like, sometimes I find myself running my finger across so that if I'm, you know, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's only, there's only a couple of tables where that is a problem. Yeah. It's it's only here and there being the, the, the big one. Um, I am, I am in general pretty happy with the way that the, that the, that the screen came out. Oh, me too. It, um, there's, there's no wasted real estate on it. I like the first edition. I really, I use it a lot and I liked it, but there were whole sections that I'm like, I don't need that. And then, Oh wait, I can't believe that's not on the screen. Let me go find it in the book. And I, I don't actually thumb through the books all that much playing. We've only played fourth, maybe like two sessions so far, but I'm, I'm really liking the screen. And if at first I was a little freaked out that it was shorter, I'm like, no, it's supposed to be, you know, four feet tall, like the first edition. And then I'm like, well, actually, now I can see the table and see what's going on. This is better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I go, I go back and forth. The, the shift to the more digest sized rule books was controversial. Um, I I still even now occasionally go back and forth on it because while I think that especially when it comes to the electronic version, the PDF, 
it works really nicely in PDF form on tablets, um, as opposed to more traditional larger format RPG books, which typically will have two columns that can make it, if you have it full screen, the text is often too small to read. And if you zoom in, then you're having to go down to the bottom and scroll back up and shift the page over and things like that. Um, so, so the, the, those designs were really kind of chosen with, with tablets and e-readers in mind, but there are at the same time, because of that smaller form factor, we end up with really thick books, you know, the, the, the player's guide and the GM's guide are each, you know, 512 pages and, and that can, um, you know, while the books are smaller and therefore a little bit easier to carry around, they are also thicker. Um, and that can present some problems when you're looking at the binding, especially on the soft covers. Um, it, it can be a little bit difficult and I definitely recognize that. Um, and it's, you know, if, if there, if there were a perfect format, we wouldn't sort of be having these debates about, you know, what works better, (laughs) things like that. Um, but I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it. And I definitely think that the, that the lower profile screen the, the four panels that's lower um, still allows you a place to hide your die rolls if you are so inclined and have your charts handy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've found and behind this massive wall from your players. I, I used to have a lot of notebooks where I drew out a lot of maps and everything. And over the years, I've gone to more. I plan out adventures, but it's more improvisational than it used to be. So I don't have like giant huge notebooks back there that I have to hide. It's more just dice rolls and odds and ends stuff. Uh, maybe, you know, writing down the initiative of my, my characters or something. So I don't have the amount of stuff to hide behind it that I did when I was playing first edition. It, some of that is not really a difference in the editions. It's more just how my play style has changed. But I, yeah. I, at first I was like, I don't know that this is big enough to to work and I started playing with it. I'm like, I can actually see what's going on. I, I really enjoy it. And yeah, you've definitely yeah. won me over on the, um, the changed size as well because of the e-reader thing that you mentioned. It's so easy to navigate and find exactly what I need. Yeah. I actually do though. Like, uh, the print books at first, uh, I was a little on the fence about that too. And I, I don't know. I can kind of see the trade-off. I, I like both both styles, but I'm um, having read through the almost the entire player's guide. I'm I'm really liking it. And the the couple sessions that we played, I didn't think it was any really any problem. I mean, it's you know, it's it is a little different. Have it split between two books, but it I think that actually is an improvement. Also, so uh, yeah. And overall, I'm I'm pretty happy with the format of it. Yeah, the splitting into two books is just simply the the result of there's a lot of material to put in there. I mean, we could probably have done a single volume rule book that would have been, you know, again, probably about 500 pages, give or take. But at that point, we would have lost us. We would have basically needed to cut a significant portion of the background and a lot of the creatures and magic items and stuff like that that are in the players in the gm's guide basically 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's one thing know. I noticed. There's there's a lot of stuff in the GM's guide that in first edition I had to buy a bunch of separate books. Like, right? There's some you know you have an okay selection of care of creatures in the first edition book, but I didn't really feel like I could run a game until I bought the creatures book. And uh, it's it's nice to have more of that right there in the GM book. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the again when you start looking at a new edition of a game, you it 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 can you've got to decide sort of what you're what you're going for. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to you want to have enough stuff that new players coming in, you know, have everything that they need. Um, by the same token, you know, a thousand pages of rules and such can be rather daunting and intimidating um but by the same you know at the same time you don't you want to be able to present your experienced groups with sort of the the updated versions of stuff that they've got before without requiring them to go out and buy more books because they tend to you know not necessarily be happy with that especially if the books end up largely just being sort of reprints of old stuff with new stat blocks. Well, that was one thing I really appreciated. That was probably my number one reservation of going to fourth edition was I have this mountain of first edition stuff. And like, I, I was afraid that it's just, okay, none of that counts anymore. You can't use it. And I'm pretty happy that the compatibility between, uh, between the original source material and the new rules, um, obviously there's some updating of certain source material things, but for the most part, it's still, it still works fine. And I'm, it's just nice that it hasn't invalidated my whole collection. Oh, I wouldn't want to invalidate my own collection. So <laughs> that's true. I should never have worried about that. You'd be the last person <laughs> on earth that would take it that direction. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, uh, I've been gaming for a long time and I have bought into and, and not, played as many games as i might like but i have bought into a lot of lines and bought you know books for uh, uh, quite a variety and i know I, I mean it's it goes back to sort of like the the ideas behind you know video game design or writing books or whatever and that is basically it's better to rather than try and maybe hazard a guess as to what your mysterious market would be interested in to just make something that you like and are happy with. And, you know, basically the audience will find it. Yeah. I think especially the internet's changed a lot of that, you know, that maybe wasn't the case as much like when first edition came out and the internet was a lot younger and not as mainstream, if, if you make something that's good and cohesive, there's a market for it somewhere and it's a matter of finding people. Um, yeah. So I, I think niche things are, are more viable than they used to be. So um, yeah, I, I could, uh, I think that's definitely true. It, it's, yeah, and, uh, and it, and it, and it allows sort of, you know, smaller indie folks to make tens of dollars. <laughs> Uh, I haven't made tens of dollars, but I did make $10. So tens <laughs> is my next uh, threshold I'm shooting for. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, that, that kind of brings me to the, the last thing I was going to ask you about. You mentioned before that um, that you take submissions on you know the people that are running the Gen Con games and, and uh, conventions and things that some of them are giving you... Uh, 
giving you adventure uh, adventures and maybe want to collaborate on some books and things. What mm-hmm. what's kind of the process of that if anyone's listening and and has kicked around the idea of wanting to write some source material, how would they go about uh, working with with FASA on that? Um, well, it would start with sending me an email um, to, and it's just josh at fasagames.com gets directly to me. Um, basically an email with, you know, this is what I, this is my idea. Um, here's what I'd like. I mean, the, the, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, a, a 10 page treatment or anything right off the bat. Um, but just, just basically a sort of, um, you know, here's what I'm looking at, especially if you're looking at, um, you know, my recommendation, um, after having worked, extensively on the Travar source book, which was, which is a large book that was the the first real writing project by the guy who, who wrote it, um, is to start smaller, um, is to start with something like an adventure. Um, you know, just because it is, there's, there's already sort of an existing framework for it and it's a lot easier to, to come up with, um, than, you know, a, a you know, 50 or 60,000 or 70,000 word source book, um, but basically, you know, send me an email. Here's my idea. Here's what I'm looking for. Or, you know, here's what I'm looking to do. Um, and, and, you know, basically I reply to that and maybe ask some more pointed questions or ask for a, you know, a little bit more of an outline. Like if it's an adventure, okay, you know, what are, what is your, your scene breakdown? How many locations are we looking at? What kind of, of circle, did you have in mind as the challenge level? Um, and then, you know, just kind of going with that. And if the, the idea, and if it's, you know, it might ask for a writing sample or something like that to get a sense of, of whether someone can know, write, <laughs> whether someone, yeah, whether someone can write, um, you know, and, and as a result, how much work, you know, how much handholding and, and editorial oversight would be required to, you know, to, to shepherd the product to completion. Um, and then at that point, it's sort of, okay, we hammer out the, the terms of a, of a, of a contract, um, because we, uh, as a sort of freelance writer type person, I believe that people should be paid for their work. Um, the cash flow is, is not where I would like it to be, where we can, you know, pay the kind of rates that say Wizards of the Coast can pay for D&D product <laughs> or you know, Pathfinder from, from Paizo, um, where they've got these rather large markets and, and, you know, or, uh, know that they're going to be selling a, a significant number of things in order to, to do that. Again, we're talking, you know, tens of dollars <laughs> here, um, you know, depending on the size, it's largely based on work word count and it's a, it's a per word rate. And the rate depends on the experience of the person involved and, you know, things like that. And then, you know, basically you, you, go off and they do their first draft and they turn it in and I try and find time somewhere to uh, go through and provide feedback and it goes through a couple of revisions and um, you know we go from there I mean to a certain extent you know again because I've got like four adventures from the the living earth dawn guys I had the the Trevar book that that took like each chapter in that book went back and forth between me and the original writer like f- like four or five times if not more 
yeah. um, just in terms of the back and forth. I mean, and that was a manuscript that was that was done when I kind of came on board because it was originally written for third edition. Um, similar thing is going to happen with the Elven Nation source book. Um, where I've got the manuscript, I'm going to read through it and send my feedback and and incorporate um, changes and and things like that. I, I am, you know, while I have been gaming for a while and did some some editorial consulting and writing work for earlier editions of Earth Dawn, um, I am still in some respects tr- trying to rev- revise and refine my process so that things can move a little bit more smoothly. I have, you know, sort of tried to set the goal of myself of getting um three if not all four of the remaining sort of promised books from the kickstarter out this year um we are on target to see two of them probably three hopefully all four but um you know again a lot of that depends on available time how much work goes needs to go into stuff and how quickly things like art and uh so forth get turned around and my ability to devote time to it because it is you know again the 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 drawback and i've mentioned this in in other conversations and whatnot is that while we sort of have the fasa name and we've got some of the 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 old fasa folks you know kind of going along with us like uh, jeff lobenstein uh sort of is the the art director or was the art director on the core books um and sort of contributes there and ross babcock who was one of the founders of the original fasa um you know we've got these people who have the experience but due to the realities of things we're you know an in sort of like an indie design house that are working in our free time and you know because there is not the money coming in that actually allows us to be paid you know even effectively part-time to uh, to work on this stuff so it's you know a couple hours in the evening uh you know five or six hours a day on the weekends and it's just nonstop. yeah well i would imagine too that you would have to have a lot of hours tied up in cross-referencing things from the original canon that's out there it's not like you're making entirely an entirely new world from scratch where it can be whatever way you want yeah there's 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 that as well to work yeah. Well, we uh, we uh, appreciated talking to you. It's uh, it was good to have you on. We've been meaning to have you on for a while now, and we just kind of got going in other directions. And uh, but it, we really definitely appreciate you taking the time to uh, to give us some insight into the process and what's going on with Earth on. Yeah, I feel exhausted just listening to you describe all your commitments. So <laughs> I can't imagine how exhausted you must be for real. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like talking about this stuff honestly i have been a fan of the game for years and the opportunity to work on it and and kind of carry it on um i am really honored to be doing it um it is a heck of a lot of work but i am enjoying it and i really enjoy seeing people playing with stuff that i worked on and enjoying it and providing that feedback um and it's just it's it's gratifying <laughs> it, it and i love taking a you know an hour or two out every once in a while to um you know to not be elbow deep in manuscript to just talk about this cool stuff that yeah. uh well that, consider that, it a standing invitation anytime you want to come back on anytime 
uh, something new to announce or something coming up. Um, and we're, we're open to talking about other facet stuff also. So any of the other game lines that you guys do, um, just <clears throat> let us know. It's, uh, you're not at all imposing. We'd love to have you at any time. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we kind of talk, I, I am, am happy to, to answer questions or whatever that kind of get directed. Uh, if, um, you've got folks, you know, that are, that are listening that for whatever reason aren't already, um, you know, following me or facet games on Facebook or following me, uh, on Twitter, my handle is at Metaxas. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also a Google plus community, uh, that I don't, go in on that too much but um you know there are other facet folks that kind of pay attention there um you know again happy to answer questions and and so forth and of course the the forums um at facetgames.com is a, a pretty good community there and a lot of discussion and uh, both myself and and morgan sort of my uh partner in crime in the development work um you know answer questions and and kind of participate in the discussions there when we can um more me than than Morgan because I'm sort of the the public face, but uh, it's you know I mean we're we're we are available and I just you know I just I like listening to your show, um, having you you know what you find interesting and what you, you're going through the the older stuff and highlighting things like that I I think it's cool so you know keep at it I'm that. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that. We when we first started, I'm like, I don't know if we're gonna have anyone listening at all. So it, we were, uh, it was good to get some feedback that at least know that people are listening to it. And uh, we're we're this is definitely a fine tuning process for us. Also, we're sort of figuring it out as we go, but uh, we're having a lot of fun with this. Also, oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely. I mean, the the first, you know, I I, fo- I follow a few podcasts, some of which have now been going on for several years, and the evolution that that happens sort of over the course of that from the earliest episodes to the the more current stuff you can you can kind of definitely see that and you know do do what like i was saying do what you enjoy and and the the audience will uh will be there and i will you know continue to retweet the the links and (laughs) talk it up and things like that so well we definitely appreciate it absolutely all right well it's been good having you and we will uh we will definitely be talking to you again all Thanks right. Well, hey, us. take it easy and, uh, you know, play more Earthdawn. Oh, we're, we're trying. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the podcast, I probably would play more. Actually, that's not true. I prob- we probably play more now because of the podcast. That's but true. <laughs> it, It's nice. So we, we get to be in the world of Earthdawn, even if we're not playing, just getting to do the podcast and talk about it all the time is, you know, it keeps us immersed in it, whether or not life is allowing us to play a game that week. So. Yeah, I I do. I the only playing of it that I tend to do these days is when I'm running demos at cons. Yeah, because I have to spend so much time, you know, developing the materials at having a regular game because I've always been the GM for my groups for the most part. So that doing that is, is sort of so much effort and I just don't have the 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 brain cycles to be. managing a campaign and developing the books. If I were, if I were just a player and somebody else were doing it, that would be awesome. <laughs> yep. Well, even, we're glad even if they might it. be intimidated because I could say, no, you're wrong, but <laughs> all right. Well, I uh, definitely appreciate having you. We will, uh, we'll be talking to you again, uh, definitely at some point, but probably soon here. So, all right, well, take it easy right. and uh, you have a good night. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.